Pastor Xavier Reese says there's only one way to eternal life. If you walk with God, you will see your sin more and more. But if you don't walk with God very close, then you don't look too bad. It's like the mirror. If you never go before a mirror, you never know how ugly you are. It reveals the truth. It's only God and His grace and His Word that shows us who we are. And man, when He does, then we're free. Then we say, Lord, what do you want to do? You can't leave it like this. And then God can begin to work. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Who's going to feed the starving people in third world nations? Someone else. Well then, who's going to take care of the homeless here in our country? Someone else. Unfortunately, it's that same kind of non-committal mentality that's invaded the church, especially when it comes to evangelism. Today, let's join Pastor Xavier in the Gospel of Matthew as he brings us today's compelling message called The Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared to Mary Magdalene, to the two men on the road to Emmaus, and later he appeared to the disciples in Jerusalem and rebuking them for their unbelief for not believing those who had seen him. Of all men who should have believed, you think the 12 would have, or at least the 11. Judas went out and hung himself. And Jesus rebukes them. Jesus appeared the first time to the disciples in Jerusalem. The doors were shut. He came in. The second time he came in, eight days later, because Thomas did not believe. He says, unless I feel the prints in his hands and the wound on his side. And Jesus walked in and says, here you go, Thomas. This is the third time that Jesus appears to the disciples. The Great Commission. John is the one who tells us it's the third time in John 21, verses 1 through 14. The Great Commission was not a suggestion nor was it an opinion, but a mandate by Jesus Christ to his church. Sometimes we feel, well, you know, God hasn't called me to evangelism. Now, you may not be an evangelist, but God has called you to reach the lost. Every one of us are under the mandate of Jesus Christ to reach people for Christ. Every one of us are to walk through those doors as God opens those doors to communicate our faith in whatever simplicity and simple way we can. You don't need to know all theology. You don't need to know anything. You know what you need to know? You need to know that you're saved. And you've got all that you need. You were there. You were a witness to your own conversion. You were a witness to your own transformation. And you can give the most powerful witness to those who ask. I can't share about your life, but I can about mine. And what God did in it. And so really, God has equipped every one of us in a very simple way. Certainly, the gift of evangelism is one of the gifts and it surely magnifies the method of witnessing and communicating. But nevertheless, none of us are handicapped to communicate our faith. Not one of us. And for the most part, the church sits and does absolutely nothing. And many churches have the mentality that, you know, the pastor, we pay him, and the pastor's on staff, and you guys do the work. No, no, no. The Bible says, as we'll see through the Great Commission, is that you are to do the work of ministry, not me. You are to do the work of ministry. And the church is almost like spectators at a football game. You've got a number of guys out there who need some desperate rest, and you've got a lot of people in the stands who need some desperate exercise. 
and got it flip-flopped around. You stop and look at your own life. When's the last time you talked to someone who didn't know Christ or obeyed the Lord to share your faith when it was wide open and you knew it was? Let me ask you a better question. How are your kids doing? Are you raising them in the Lord? Are you setting boundaries? Do they love the Lord? Are they godly? Or do you kind of just turn your back and say, well, it'll all work out. No, it won't work out. Evangelism begins in our own home, people. And if it doesn't begin there, it's never going to go anywhere else. And if it goes anywhere else, God help me if I skip my home. And that's the heart of God is for lost people. This great commission is found not only here in Matthew, but in Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20, and Acts chapter 1. Now, when God says something once, pay attention to it. But when he says it five times, then you better read it, and you better examine it, and you better ponder it, and you better say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Verse 16 to 20 in Matthew is our text. He says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So be it. As we look at this text, we want to look at three things regarding the Great Commission. First, the men Jesus chose, verses 16 and 17. Secondly, the authority Jesus delegated, verses 18. And thirdly and last, the task Jesus commanded, verses 19 and 20. Look with me to verses 16 and 17, to the men Jesus chose. It says there, the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into the mountain where Jesus had appointed for them. The 11 disciples had been chosen by Jesus after an entire night of prayer. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. He took an entire night to prayerfully consider and ask the Father. Jesus never did anything apart from the Father. Jesus never made a decision on his own apart from going to the Father. Why? Because he didn't have the wisdom? No, because he came to give us a model that the only way to live victoriously and accurately in this world is to keep fellowship with God in prayer. Remember, he became man, the last Adam, like unto the first Adam, to show us that the first Adam failed, but to show us also that the last Adam didn't fail, and to show us that the first Adam didn't have to. The first Adam failed, but he didn't have to. And that's why he came to show us. He conquered over Satan. And so as a man, he continued to depend upon the Father for everything. He asked, Lord, Father, who should I select? And of all the men that were following him, he chose 12. Stop and consider some of these 12. Simon Peter was impetuous. He was impulsive. He was proud. He attempted to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Now you and I take Peter apart, but Jesus put him together. This is the man that he chose. He chose James and John, the mama's boys, the ones who were looking always out for themselves. Can we have the right hand, the left hand? Do you know what you're asking? Can you partake of this cup and of this baptism? Oh, yeah, Lord, we can. No, you don't know, but you will hereafter partake. I would have never chosen them, would you? Matthew, a tax collector, one who had betrayed his own people, taking a job with the Roman Empire, 
becoming rich and wealthy, meeting the quota for the region that was given to them for tax, and then after that, all that he could get would be his own. He would be hated by the Jews. And then God chooses Simon the Zealot, the one who was vowed to destroy any power that would want to rule over Israel. Matthew would have been his first target. Jesus chose him. Then there was Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him, the one who pilfered the treasury, the one who Jesus said had a devil, the one who Jesus says it would be better that he had never been born, the one who Jesus continually pursued and tried to turn to the very last minute. He did not. Then we have Thomas who doubted one who walked with Jesus, saw the miracles, one who perhaps partook of miracles himself, and one who did not believe the very ten who walked with him and says, we saw the Lord. He says, unless I feel his hands and feel his side, I will not believe. Quite a group, isn't it? You and I would have never chosen these men because of two reasons. One, they would not meet our requirements and standards, and two, we would never affect them in the way that God would affect their lives through Jesus Christ. And so likewise, I feel in good company because I meet those requirements in perfection. But Jesus chose these men. As he chose you, he chose me. Notice the eleven, with all their failure and imperfection, were obedient to keep their appointment with Jesus at Galilee. In spite of all that, they obeyed him. The mountain, we don't know where that mountain was. There was some mountain there in Galilee that were familiar. Most of these guys were from the region of Galilee. The scriptures are very clear that what God desires from man is not work, is not some kind of sacrifice, but what he desires is obedience. You remember Saul the king as he pretended to do a work for God and he sacrificed and, and took the office of a priest when he should have waited for Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, 22. And he says, Hail, Samuel, how are you? All's well. He says, well, what's the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? Oh, well, it's the people, and you were late. And he says, do you not know that it's better to obey than to sacrifice, than to hearken to the fat of rams? For rebelliousness is as the sin of witchcraft. You're obeying another spirit. Whether it's your own spirit or Satan, it's against God. What he desires is obedience. Pick on these men, if you will. Tear them apart, if you will. But they were obedient to the Lord to follow Him. They counted the cost because they were disciples. Notice the 11 disciples worship in verse 17. They saw Him, they worshiped Him. But some doubted. The word worship in our English language comes from the Anglo-Saxon word uh, which means to attribute worth to something. The word that are used throughout the Old Testament as well as the New, they communicate the idea of prostrating oneself before God, holding in awe of a person of God, recognizing one's inferiority before someone who's superior. It's fully pictured very vividly through the Old Testament. Moses in Mount Sinai in Exodus 34, 8, he falls to the ground. God tells him to take his shoes off for he's on holy ground. And then we have people like Copeland and Hagen who say they've seen Jesus while they're shaving and they're talking to him. Well, I know they're liars because they're not on their face. 
Because every person who saw Jesus or God or a manifestation of God, they were on their face. Every person who saw a manifestation of God was on their face. Why? Because he's the epitome of holiness and I'm the epitome of sinfulness. And let me tell you, when God appears in some form, you're going to know it. And you're going to be aware of your frailty and of your sinfulness more than ever before. And that's why if you walk with God, you will see your sin more and more. But if you don't walk with God very close, then you don't look too bad. It's like the mirror. If you never go before a mirror, you never know how ugly you are. <laughs> it's only when you go to the mirror that you realize, oh my God. <laughs> it reveals the truth. You know, we look at pictures and we say, oh, that doesn't look like me. No, that does look like you. <laughs> it's you. It's not the senior picture with the cheesecloth or anything else. It's you. See, we have a wrong perception of ourselves. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We perceive ourselves much different than people perceive us. It's only God and His grace and His Word that shows us who we are. And man, when He does, then we're free. Then we can say, Lord, what do you want to do? <laughs> We've got to do something. We can't leave it like this. <laughs> and then God can begin to work. Worship is the adoration of God and His holiness and recognizing my own unworthiness. Isaiah the prophet cried out, Woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips in Isaiah 6.5. Worship is an attitude towards God from the heart because of God's Word and His Holy Spirit. Not mere outward expression of song or praise lifting up my hands but it's the result of God's word buried deep in my heart. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3 says in Psalm 119, 7 through 11. It's that transforming work from the inside out that I become more like Jesus Christ. Yes, I fail. Yes, I am frail. Yes, I am imperfect. But man, I don't want to stay that way. You know what I mean? John the Baptist says, you know, I must decrease and he must increase. And God looks at the heart his grace is sufficient. Where sin abounds, much more does grace abound. But grace has never licensed the sin. For Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Do not make the grace of God of none effect. He pleads to the Galatians. Worship is the theme of heaven. Read Revelations chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. As all the elders cast their crowns and fall on their face and say, You are worthy to be worshipped and to be praised. For to you belongs all glory and honor. It's the theme of heaven. Is it the theme of your life, worship? Or is it work? Is it pretense? What is the theme of your life? If it isn't worship, then you haven't begun to know God. It begins and it ends with worship. God seeks such to worship Him. And those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23 and 24, Jesus revealed this to the Samaritan woman. She professed she was a religious woman. And Jesus says, you don't know what you worship, but the Jews, they do. And there is coming a time, and now is, when those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Truth is the Word of God. If you are not worshiping God according to the prescribed manner of the Word, then you are not worshiping according to Spirit. 
and the Spirit confirms the Word of God. The Word is the boundaries, and if you do not know the Word or prescribe to the patterns of the Word of God, then you are worshiping God in an unprescribed manner. You cannot invent it. You cannot change it. God has set the rules. And so we see the men that Jesus chose. Imperfect, but those who worshipped him. Those who knew who he was. Those who had committed their lives to him and were willing to lay down their lives, and which they did. About the only one that survived was John, the beloved, who was cast in oil and boiled, and he didn't die. And then he was cast to the island of Patmos where he received the revelation. And then came back, and tradition tells us that he abode there at Ephesus, and there he died. Notice next the authority that Jesus delegated in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The authority was to the disciples, not just anyone. Not anyone can use the authority of Jesus Christ. Not anybody can just call upon the name of the Lord and, 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 and do miracles. Not anybody can just use God as a little genie. Many people think they can. We are even teaching it in the church today through the positive confession movement. That God's a genie. You're God and he's your servant. But not so. This authority was delegated to the disciples, not just anyone. Those who had accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Those who had been born again. Those who had responded to the gospel, those who had had their lives transformed, those who had picked up their cross, denied themselves, and followed Jesus. Those who he had taught and sent out. He sent them out to minister the gospel. He sent them out to cast out demons. When they came back, he says, Lord, even the demons submit to us. He says, don't rejoice the demons submit to you. Man, you want to get excited about something? Get excited about this. Your name is written in the book of life. We get excited about all the wrong things, don't we? <laughs> We have a time quiet with the Lord and God ministers unto us and we don't get that excited about it. But we go to some minister's church who we think is so exalted and we get to talk to him and shake his hand and man, we come back and we share with everybody. We get excited about all the wrong things, people. We need to get our eyes on the Lord. The authority was given to those 11 whom he had chosen. But think of this. The authority was even delegated to Judas Iscariot. He performed miracles, I'm sure. He cast out demons. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew, we studied it earlier in the chapters. He says, you know, in that day they said, Lord, we cast out demons. We did this, we did that in your name. He says, I never knew you. Do you think that because a person does miracles in Jesus' name that they belong to Jesus Christ? You better think again and study the words of Jesus. Miracles are no evidence that you belong to God. A life transformation and evidence of that life transformation is evidence that you belong to God. Not miracles. That you are a new creature. That you obey God's word. That you've picked up your cross. That you follow him. That is evidence that you belong to Him. Not that you do miracles, signs, or wonders. 
It's the greatest deception. Notice also the authority had been given to Jesus. The Father had given it to him. Why? Didn't he have it? Yes, but he submitted himself to the Father. He emptied himself, Philippians 2 says. He took on the form of a servant. He didn't think it robbery to grasp and to make himself equal with God. Why? Because he was God. And yet he humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant. And for this reason, the Father says that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right now it's by choice. Then it will be by force. He had all the authority. Now, prior to the incarnation, and the Father had glorified him as he had asked him to glorify him with the glory which he had before the world began in John 17, 5. He divested himself, not of his deity, but of his glory before he came. He was always God. If he wasn't God, you and I are in deep, deep trouble because then all we had was a man dying. But we didn't have just a man dying. We had the God-man dying. The God that grabbed the hold of the hand of God and the man who grabbed the hold of the hand of man and then he died and his blood bridged the two together. 100% man, 100% God. He descended to the lowest parts of the earth, Hades. He preached to the captives. He scooped them up. He took them to heaven. 1 Peter 3.19 and Colossians 2.15 says he made a public open display showing that they could not hold him. He became victorious. He destroyed the power of Satan. He says, the prince of this world comes and he has nothing in me. He is called the God of this world. He was the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But he's a liar. He's a murderer. And he can do nothing to the child of God because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Oh, he can try to oppress you. He can try to depress you. He can try to discourage you. He can try to defile you. But you need to yield to him. He cannot overpower you in Jesus Christ. He needs your will. He needs your permission. He needs your openness. That means that we have responsibility to fight the good fight, to put on the armor, and to stand fast. This authority was delegated to Jesus. This authority is he's delegating to his disciples. Death could not hold him. He tasted death for every man, according to Psalm 16, 8, 11, and then Hebrews 2, 9. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin. It holds no sting no longer. Why? Because when we accept Jesus Christ, we pass from death unto life. Oh, you may die physically, but you'll never die. Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. There's a physical death. There's an eternal death. Eternally separate from God. Don't think of death stopping physical life. Think of death, eternal separation from God. That's death. Forever and ever and ever. That you have to go through that door of physical death is nothing. The consequences will be greater. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you will be eternally separated from God. But you don't have to because Jesus died for you. He died for your sins that you might call upon His name. And that you might pass from death unto life even now while you're living. Once you die, your eternity is sealed. Whatever you have lived for is turned into an object of permanency. There is no second opportunity. 
Nobody can pray you out of wherever you go, which is only hell, not purgatory, not limbo, or not blue, or anywhere else. You're just there. And that's not a very nice thing to say, and that's not a loving thing to say, but it's a truthful thing to tell you. Apart from Jesus Christ, you have no hope, nor do I. Pastor Xavier Reese with somber words about the fate of those who die without Jesus. And you can request a copy of today's important message from the Gospel of Matthew called The Great Commission. It's available, as always, on CD for just $4. And this is definitely one message you'll want to pass along to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. So the title to ask for once again is The Great Commission. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Well, how good is the good news of the gospel? Pastor Xavier Reese wants to know if it's good enough to share with others. Find out more when you join us for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com